But that is the dematerializing control, and that over yonder is the horizontal fold. Up there is the scanner, those are the doors, that is the chair with the panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. Now please stop bothering me. You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. A nerdy podcast hosted by a husband and wife team who just love talking about all things Doctor Who. Everyone is welcome, but remember... Spoilers, adult language, a general distrust of all things Stephen Moffat, and other adult content may lie within. Grandfather seems to be enjoying himself. All right, hello, hello again. Welcome to the uh, episode seven of the Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story podcast, where uh, myself, I'm Daniel, joined by my lovely wife, Shana. Say hello, Shana. Hello. Uh, we talk about all things Doctor Who, because that's just what we like to do in our spare time. Um, today we are going to be talking um, quite a bit, I think, about The Eleventh Hour, which was Matt Smith's first episode from 2010. And um, kind of, you know, we're doing a new format thing where we're only doing an episode at a time, but I think uh, originally the plan was to kind of cons- compare this a little bit with Spearhead from Space, which is Pertwee's first episode. Um, we'll do a little bit of that, but I think we had a lot of um, other things to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, uh, any particular Doctor Who geeky things you've uh, run into in the last uh, few days since we recorded last? I know that I mentioned before that I had been playing Doctor Who Legacy. Um, I'm a little annoyed that you have to pay money to get the quote-unquote free characters um, so I'm a little upset at my Doctor Who game right now. Um, but the positive side of that has meant that I've been looking up a lot of cool Doctor Who cosplay on Tumblr. That's cool. You find anything cool? Um, you know, lots of River songs. Uh, I And she's not my favorite character, but I love the kind of fan base that she has. So I'm like all about it. Um, and then lots, well... A fair amount of femme doctors, which is primarily what I'm looking for right now for inspiration because I am planning on doing a femme fourth doctor costume for Chicago TARDIS. You're going to look adorable. I'm going to look adorable. I hope so. Um, I'm also trying to think of a cute way to do an oud. Um, (laughs) So I've been looking up lots of oud pictures, but like nothing that's in the news, just my own weird little... uh, microcosm of the Doctor Who fandom that I'm swimming through. Sure, sure. Well, that's that's a lot of what we do. I mean, um, and uh, some uh, dirty Ten Rose pictures. I think you've been looking at some of those. <laughs> they come across... You send them to me. They come across my Tumblr dash quite often, and I go, hmm? I, you know, and it's funny because, like, they're meant to be really sexy, but most of them are, like, snuggling. Well, and, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, that's adorable. I, you know, yes, my, my OTP is off somewhere snuggling. And I my uh, my home screen or my lock screen on my cell phone right now is Rose snuggled in, I think it's actually supposed to be Ten Two's lap. Yeah, I know, it's Ten Two. Um, the, the second doctor, it, you know. Which, since you shared that image with me, you should put it in the notes. Yeah, well, sure, if I can find the link again. But, yeah, Figure sure. that out. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm in my own little happy Doctor Who romance phase, looking nice. silly stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. No. Um, I've been doing just a lot of uh, you know, just had some Doctor Who, you know, random stuff just comes across my dash. I've been spending a lot of time in the Moffat hate tag on uh, Tumblr. 
of which uh, you have. Which, uh, you know, lots of cool stuff gets said there. And um, it's kind of one of those things because Moffat hate is kind of what the people who love Stephen Moffat kind of started calling. Like, it got started as a way of tagging your stuff um, to get it out of the way of the people who love Moffat. Who would just, you're a Moffat hater. And so they just started tagging him Moffat hate. This was long before I got involved with it. But um, it's kind of spread and it's really more... Moffat criticism. It tends to be kind of textual criticism of, of his shows. But um, um, if you like our podcast, particularly if you like this podcast, you probably want to start checking out that tag on Tumblr because uh, this is uh, we're going to be talking about the 11th hour today, and um, I don't know that we're going to be all that kind to it. So, um, I, if- Well, okay. I will point out as often as I can the things that I like. I, I actually I actually like quite a bit of this episode, yes. but there's a lot of problematic stuff, and we're probably going to spend most of our time kind of talking about that. So I um, just want to warn uh, our listeners who, uh, you know, if you're a big fan of Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat and this era of the show, this may not be your episode. Um, but then again, you probably aren't listening to us in the first place. So it's Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, but just warning, fair warning ahead of time. So, um, before we get into the eleventh hour, I did want to. We I like to uh, start every uh, show with a with a random question I throw at Shana because it's just fun for me to do. Um, this is uh, actually based on because last week we talked about Spearhead from Space, which is Pertwee's first story, and you talked about how much you loved Liz Shaw yeah. and you know and John Pertwee, probably to a lesser extent, but you kind of loved Liz Shaw in particular. Yeah. So here's my question. Okay. What if when they brought in the third doctor, if Liz Shaw had played the doctor and John Pertwee had been in the Liz Shaw role? I mean, part of the reason that I like them is because they are working against their typical gender roles. So, like, I'm thinking through some of the things that happened in that episode that I would have been far more critical of if it was a woman. Um Particularly a naked woman falling out of a box, and well, she wasn't. He wasn't naked when he fell out of the box, but well, you know, he does get naked later. I'm just saying, like, imagine that dynamic. Because but I was that dynamic, about it. I could if if that's the question you're asking, like, I think it'd be interesting. It would be less interesting. I I just think part of it is so in, it's so part of the culture of the time period. I guess is what I'm saying. I find it hard to disconnect them. Sure, sure. I, uh, for me, I was watching it. Um, I was rewatching it because I'd seen it before, but I was going through it and I started looking at it and thinking, man, Liz, Sha- you know, Caroline John, who was really good in that episode, mm-hmm. you could totally see her as, as the new doctor. And then Pertwee is kind of the goofy assistant because he's so, like, he's got that kind of broad comic thing going on where he does with his eyebrows and all that kind of stuff. And you could totally see him being this kind of comic, goofy, older man assistant to the first female doctor. I just thought that was a really, I thought that was a really cool idea. Apparently you think it's less cool, but I don't think it's less cool. I just, I don't think I can isolate things like that in my mind. And I mean, that's probably because of my background as an English major. I'm like, all I do is talk about how this is a commentary on culture and blah, 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 blah. blah. Like that's the kind of stuff that I like to do. So you're just kind of like, um, puzzle piecing together. Um, I think it would be interesting, but I, I don't know. I would have to see it, I guess. Sure. I'm just asking you to imagine in your mind's I'm eye. I'm imagining, but I'm imagining that I would have to see it. <laughs> okay. That's fair. All right. Um, 
All right, so uh, that that little uh, kind of intro piece over, uh, I think it's uh, time to start talking about the eleventh hour. And um, just briefly, I want to talk about you know some of the context of the eleventh hour. One of the reasons I wanted to kind of pair Spearhead with the eleventh hour is because um, you know a lot of the regenerations, a lot of the a these are both kind of brand new production teams coming on. Doing the show, Eleventh um, Hour is Matt Smith's first episode. But it was also Stephen Moffat's first episode of Showrunner. There's a whole new production team, all new directors, all new writers. You know, like very few people um, really made the changeover, and uh, it was very similar to the way that uh, when John Pertwee's first episode, Barry Letts had kind of written some stuff, and he would he had been on staff, but you know, really there weren't a lot of. Most of the above-the-line production staff had had not come on from Patrick Troughton's run. So, again, you're getting this very kind of direct, you know, uh, very overt change in the way that the uh, show was run. And I think also um, Moffat has said, uh, I saw an interview where he talked about how uh, in the, you know, in most Doctor's first episodes, you know, David Tennant's first episode, he spends half of it asleep. You know, yeah. um, ditto for John Pertwee's first episode. You see, you see that fairly often, not all the time, but you see that fairly often with a regeneration episode mm-hmm. where the doctor is in some way incapacitated or kind of crazy or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea of saying, we're going to come out with a bang, we're going to make, you know, the 11th doctor, he's going to save the world in his very first episode and really be energetic and move. Um, really but tells you something about the way that the character is. Uh, was designed about the 11th Doctor's character design. So uh, all of that as preamble, um, talk for a moment, if you want to, about comparing Spearhead to 11th Hour as introductions to that Doctor. Uh, Well, and I don't know if you heard me, um, but I said that makes him, he feels cocky to me. Um, Moffat? Moffat Or the 11th Hour? Moffat and the 11th Doctor at at times in the 11th hour. And I'll kind of come back to it later a bit, I think. But um, for me, as somebody who has studied the craft of storytelling, as it were. um, You have two degrees in writing. Well, yeah, basically. Uh, I I have an English bachelor's degree and a MFA in creative writing. Although I will emphasize that my my focus was in poetry. Because um, you're going for the big bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone reads poetry these days. Everyone. Everyone should read your poetry, maybe. Yeah. Well, someday I'm going to write a book of Doctor Who poems. And uh, and we will promote the shit out of it on this podcast. And all, all seven people will, will want to buy it. Although I they thought you said we had 20 listeners at one point. We have a couple of episodes that have gotten up to 20 listens. Okay. Um, That's but, a different thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, at the time, I was I was telling you, I was looking at the numbers wrong. We had gotten 20 total listens oh. to the, <laughs> over the, like, three episodes or whatever we had at that time. So, you know. Rocking. Okay, so we're, we're yeah. Hi, dudes. We love you. I'm giving you a hard time. Anyways, we're, rack, we're rocking half a dozen people listening to this shit. Yeah. So, you know, be professional. I will. Uh, as professional as you pay me to be. Um, from my point of view, having the background of writing, I, I kind of come to it as the workshop approach of thinking like, okay, if somebody turned in a story like this and workshop, what would my criticisms be? Um, so, and I just kind of want to put that out there because that's the way I talk about things. And if somebody's listening to this and thinking like, oh, why is she using those terms? That doesn't make any sense. Like that, that's my reasoning. 
Um, I know it's not perfect, but you know, if there's something that I don't think, I mean, because I did not take a bunch of writing classes. Um, it, but if there's something I don't think people will get, I'll try to pull it out for you. But um, maybe this will be the episode that we finally get an email. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, Always face and podcast gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I, comparing I, comparing Spearhead from Space yes, and yes, yes, the Eleventh Hour so as introductions to the space. Doctor. And we talked about how Spearhead from Space felt like a brand new show in a variety of ways. Um, and I think some people say that about the 11th hour. I don't really feel like the 11th hour looks so spectacularly different from the previous season that I completely dissociate it from it in the way that I do with Spearhead from Space. Um, but having said that, I feel like the idea that as a writer, you sit down to write something and think the this is my starting point is that he's going to save the day in his first episode. It feels cocky because it feels like that's the whole story is he's going to save the day in the first episode. Like you're going to have a climax in the first episode. Like what, where are you building your tension? Where are you? And so I just kind of get led through all these questions of like, I don't really understand why you're doing this. Um, and the general reaction I feel like I get from people who like Moffat is because it's fun and because it, I, I think that there's supposed to be a kind of aura of whimsy about a lot of what happens. Um, but there's too many problematic things for me. Um, well, let's not get into problematic so, things. just yes, And yet. I'm not going to get into that yet, but so, I mean, the, the main differences I feel like between the two episodes is one is, written in a way that you get a huge amount of the characters very quickly. Like I loved Liz Shaw instantly. I got who she was. Um, well, unfortunately Robert Holmes wasn't around to write the 11th hour. Right. Uh, but you know, and I'll talk more about this later, but like, I, I feel like it takes us forever to get to know Amy. And I still feel like I don't know who that character is supposed to be. After two and a half years. Yeah. So for me, it's all about writing things. And I'm not saying that we don't get to know the characters. I'm just saying that I feel like as a viewer of something that is, has been crafted and put together by artisans or artists, um, I feel like I have to fill in too much of the empty space. Um, now, is that your opinion of the 11th hour? Because, or is that your opinion of the kind of Moffat era, the Matt Smith era in general? It, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Um, I I went into this... Okay, so when you said to me, we're going to talk about the 11th hour next, I was... I I remembered when we watched that together, sitting there... About two years ago. Yeah. We have not revisited much of the Matt Smith era where we've revisited some of the earlier stuff. Right. Well, um, I mean, it's because part of it is because we've had new episodes of him. So it was kind of like, we'll rewatch his era when he's gone, and now he's gone. Sure. Um, not dead, just not on the show anymore. Uh, <laughs> He's dead to us. Dead to all. No, that's so not true. Um, but, oh God, I keep getting off track and then forgetting where I'm going. I'm not, I'm not helping at all. No, you're not. Uh, no, I just, what did I just say before you totally derailed me? Uh, <laughs> with like. You know, and the funny thing is, she's the one who took notes on this. I didn't you know, take notes. I do have notes. She did. All right. Um, I feel like I feel like we're gonna kind of come back to whatever we were saying. I feel like we, we're it, the trick with this is we're we we do not want to repeat ourselves, and I think yes, we might end up doing true. that. 
Um, you were talking about, I think, your first. Okay, let me let me just kind of give you oh, my. Wait, hold on. Okay. I remember now. When we first watched the show for the first time, it was on the air. I remember you laughing at stuff and enjoying stuff, and me thinking. Well, it wasn't on the air. This was on. We were watching it on Netflix instant. But go okay, ahead. Well, whatever. When we first watched it, I remember you audibly <laughs> enjoying certain moments that in my head I was thinking, really? And you know, it's. I'm glad he's enjoying it that much. I'm not. Um, and so when you said we were going to watch this, I was like, I remember not being on board from the beginning. And I know a lot of people had told me like, oh, no, no, no. Go back. Rewatch season one. Season one is good. Or, you know, with series five, series five, um, watch his first season. And I in the back of my head, I was like, but I really remember not liking it from the very beginning. Now, yes. 10 is my doctor. I had a visceral reaction to having to watch his ending. I still have a visceral reaction when I watch his ending. Um, but I, I was hoping to like this doctor. Um, and for the reasons that we will talk about later, I just, I can never latch onto it. So when I sat down to watch it this time, I specifically went in thinking, I want to figure out exactly why I wasn't drawn in. <laughs> sure. And I think we're going to talk a lot about that. I think yeah. that, I think that ultimately where you and I both land, and I think rewatching the 11th hour for me kind of um, crystallized something where it's almost like the stuff that people like about it is there. And I'm kind of on board with that, but I never feel like I can get momentum on going there because there's so much stuff I don't like that gets in my way of that. Yes. Um, and so I, before I want to, I want to talk a little bit about my kind of first viewing because mm -hmm. you kind of make me sound like a doofus, you know, sitting there, you know, like, oh, I really like that bit, you know. No, I. Um, no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You're not really like do this, but um, <sighs> you know, I have a creative writing degree. There's my little dumbass boyfriend, you know, like. No, I. Uh, when I don't enjoy things, I like sit there and I think, well, I'd like to enjoy it. I don't. I mean, you know, I watch shit television sometimes. Well, sure, sure. I, um, no, no, and no. I'm I, not I mean, saying that this is shit television. I'm just saying I look at anything I watch, hoping to find some way to enjoy it. Sure, sure. That, that's I, how, yeah. For me, okay. Again, I'm 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 getting us off topic, but I, I did want to, you know. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was kind of coming at because I had uh, seen some of the clips from this episode, in particular at the end with the Atraxi, uh, he calls the Atraxi back, you know. Um, I had seen some of the, you know, some of the stuff, and I had seen what people talked about, and I'm like, wow, this sounds like the Tenant era, you know. Like we we watched them all on Netflix instant and on the discs, uh, you know, fairly quickly, we were kind of getting into the Matt Smith era. Mm -hmm. We, and I, I just heard so many great things and I'm like, I can't wait for, you know, this just sounds like this totally new thing and he's totally, you know, um, and I think that for me, the thing that Moffat has the doctor do where he, um, puffs up the doctor as like, you know, uh, you know, basically, I'm the Doctor Run, you know, sort of thing. Um, he did it in uh, Planet of the Dead, uh, pardon me, uh, Force of the Dead, Sauce in the Library. Mm -hmm. And he does it here. And, you know, I think that the whole Matt Smith screaming at the sky thing got a little, got way, way overdone because they just kind of brought that out over and over and over again. But I do kind of like that element here. And I was kind of looking forward to, like, Oh, this is a doctor who will turn armies away with the with the wave of his hand, you know, sort of thing. Um, I was kind of looking forward to that 
Um, and I think that I, I got to the end of this episode the first time and I thought I had watched the beginning of something really good that had some stuff I didn't like in it. But um, I was a lot more willing to forgive its flaws the first time. Um, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And I, you know, and maybe it was because you were watching Classic Who and I still really haven't. I, ha I hadn't watched Classic Who at that point. Oh, had you not at all? No, no, I was, we watched through all of New Who. I didn't start watching Classic Who until after you came back from Prague. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, this is, I, we're, we're talking about something that people don't know. This was um, the beginning of summer. This was like May 2012. Uh, Shana went I just, off. I don't know. Or I, July 2012. Um, Shana went off to Prague for two weeks, and when she came back, I had um, the Eighth Doctor TV movie for us to watch together, uh, which I got in the district Netflix. And then the plan was we were going to watch that, and then we were going to start with the First Doctor. And Shana got really bored and went, "I can't do this." I watched some of the First Doctor. You watched some of it. You watched some of it. I'm, I'm and not. And I but... said I really like parts of this, but the pacing is going to kill me. Right. Um, and, but I and got really, I got really later, hooked when I, I started back, watching it. When I got back from Prague, I was really sick and I went to Prague for work. So don't make it sound like I went on vacation. Oh, no, 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 no. Shanna had to go for work. It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, you know, I had classes, I had stuff. There was, there were reasons. Anyway, I was, you know. let's not talk about Prague. Let's yeah, talk no, about something. That, that's, that's its own, whole other topic. Um, but. <laughs> Wow, this is gonna be this is a weird podcast. This is fun. I love it. I love you, baby. Um love you too. So uh we'll see if the listeners like listening to us talk about this shit. But um so um essentially for for me, I think watching this, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of the classic stuff. I kinda read about it. I was getting curious about the classic stuff. But, you know, I was definitely more involved in kind of reading fan reactions, like as we we're watching the David Tennant episodes. Mm -hmm. I was reading stuff that had been written, you know, some five years earlier where people would talk about it and like um kind of fan responses and i was kind of like everybody was like man the end of the david Tennant era you kind of get tired of some of the you know the rtd-ness of it you get tired of the 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 mopiness and um and uh i was kind of excited like it's a new era like and and stephen moffat you know i think you know, at the time, people were thinking Stephen Moffat has written some of the best episodes in the new series. If he's a new showrunner, this is going to be amazing. You know, right. and no, everybody I know that. and everybody talked really positively about it, and so I was ready to love it. And I do think that there's stuff I don't like um, that I didn't like at the time, but I was I was definitely like, you know, give it a few episodes, I, it'll even out. You know, um, yes. Rewatching it now, um, just to kind of bring us back, and I think I want to say this, and then I want to get into kind of your agenda, the the notes that you took. Okay. Um, because but I want to kind of give my general impression of the episode, just kind of watching it. I I watched it between class and work, and I was eating lunch, and I just went okay. And I didn't know this. I, I guess I maybe knew it in the back of my head somewhere. This is a sixty-five minute episode, not a forty-five minute episode, and. I remember thinking, like, man, there's a lot in this episode. It just, you know, because you start off the the Doctor, you know, the the Eleventh Doctor is regenerated. He's tumbling towards Earth. You get that big special effects sequence on this big action sequence right at the beginning, um, which is a very like Moffaty thing to do. You kind of realize in retrospect to kind of start you in media res with this like big tumbling action sequence, which is resolved in eight seconds. Um, mm -hmm. You know. Um, then you move into, okay, the doctor has, you know, he's fixed his tumbling problem, but he crash lands, 
you get the little girl, you spend a lot of time with the little girl. Then, you know, there's a lot in this episode. And I was like, how do they cram all this into 45 minutes? That's amazing. But it's not at 65 minutes. Yeah. And I do think that there is this, uh, watching it now, I'm like, there's this 20-minute prologue followed by 20 minutes of stuff I really like that has problematic stuff in it, mm-hmm. followed by a 10-minute epilogue, which drags like hell for me. Um, yeah. And I think that... For me, I think if the episode had begun, if you didn't see the young Amelia Pond at all, if the episode had, if if the TARDIS had crash landed in the adult Amy Pond's backyard, mm-hmm. um, with subsequent changes which we will talk about later, but if it had landed in the back of adult Amy Pond's yard, and the Doctor had discovered Prisoner Zero's living here, you know, and all the, you know, all the other plot stuff happens basically as you see it on screen, but you didn't see that you didn't have that fish fingers and custard bullshit um mm-hmm. which drives me crazy um mm-hmm. and i will talk about it. i mean to me it's this 20 minutes of like it's supposed to make you love this guy and it makes me hate this guy because he's he's a big spoiled bratty kid and that you know mm-hmm. rewatching it again i'm like this guy this is a 900 year old time lord and he's making a 10 year old kid like cooking bacon yeah, because, you know. <laughs> yeah, honestly, let's start here, Daniel. Let's start here because this is the real point where I was like, I don't, I don't trust this doctor. He doesn't sure. like bacon. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, evil people don't like bacon. Well, and I remember bad the first, people. Bad people don't like bacon. They, dead pigs. Dead, the doctor like eats dead pig. That's just that's just a given in his character. You know, that's that's rule one. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> Just to, just to kind of uh, just to kind of finish my my thought there, I, you know, again, there's a lot of stuff I like. I think the mythology stuff drags this down for me to agree. You know, the the crack in the wall. I mean, Moffat is setting up some stuff that you know. Now we're recording this. If for anybody listening to it, you know, way down the line or whatever, we're recording this after the end of Matt Smith's last episode. The Matt Smith era is over for us. So we've seen everything we've seen how the crack gets resolved we've seen all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. all of that stuff three years of stories get the set up right stuff. The I, I forgot stuff. how much stuff actually gets set up in this episode there's a there's a that. you know this is this is i think the big fundamental change between the rtd gardner era and the moffat era is that um the moffat run he's definitely building not just series long story arcs that you know like the kind of code words the keywords that that rtd gardner threw in mm-hmm. but he's throwing in like you get direct like serialized storytelling in the sense of the crack appears in every episode or in a lot of episodes mm-hmm. of series um and you know the silence will fall stuff he's building like well and you know it's stories funny and i it's... think that's another thing that people like about it you know which i don't i'm like i don't want to see that i don't need that in my doctor who Well, and what I think is funny is, to me, it feels a lot like a um, fantasy versus science fiction difference in some ways. And and I'm not talking about, like, one is better than the other, but, like, kind of the basic elements of storytelling. In fantasy, it's about often, okay, again, I'm generalizing, (laughs) fantasy tends to do world... Send your hate mail to oispacemanpodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. I think fantasy in general, let's look at an example, Lord of the Rings, you know, high fantasy, you have millions of characters and they're all related somehow and there's a culture and there's, you know, things that come in and out and it's 
I don't want to use the word whimsy because that that kind of denotes a level of insincerity that I don't mean. Um, but there is a magic to it, if you will, um, that you you kind of have to be wanting to go with. And uh, versus where I think science fiction is much more focused on, in general, again, world building and setting up uh, like, you know, societies and you get a little bit more of the nitty gritty details. And so it's kind of a different audience where one person wants like the lush description and the other person just wants to know what the heck is going on. And again, vast generalizations. Sure. Uh, I, I, I'm uh, going to leave that in the podcast, um, despite the fact that I actually don't agree with your... Um, I mean, if you're trying to say that like RTD Gardner is doing science fiction versus Moffat is doing fantasy, which I think is kind of what you're trying to say. I think that that's the metaphor that they're... Oh. they're... But by, I think by your words, and I... And I I kind of disagree with it. I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Moffat's run is very fairy tale. Um, yes. I think fairy tale works better than fantasy. I okay. Think that, you know, so fairy and I, tale you know, is fantasy. But I think of, of fantasy also like Neil Gaiman and like the fact that he wrote an episode or two now. He's written two episodes, yeah. You know, like it, it makes sense to me. It's a similar kind of fantasy building. Well, um, and and I think that really escapist versus, and I mean, um, it's almost not like I'm saying that one is sci-fi and one is fantasy. I'm saying I feel like one is more influenced by people that I identify with as science fiction. I don't know. We can sure. move on from this. Sure. Well, well, I think I, I want to put a point in something because there's something really fundamental that I I want to point to, and there's a. Yeah. A piece that I had read, and I did not send this to you because I didn't think it was going to come up in this episode, but um, <laughs> um, there's a piece that I had read by a blogger, and I forget his name because I found his blog on Tumblr. And it's not a Tumblr blog. It's like it's he's one of those guys who writes long pieces like once every three months, and uh, they are pretty remarkable. But I just found this guy. He's an English writer, and uh, he's written two kind of like deconstructing the Moffat era posts that are um, – you know, basically how Stephen Moffat has ruined Doctor Who, and I'm going to put them both in the show notes. And I'm, uh, but he, but he, he said something really unique where he kind of describes um, geekiness as a, um, and, and not to, to, he uses the word geekiness in this very specific sense, in the sense of there are some people who like watch Star Trek and want to know how do the warp drives work? What does Mox or um, what does warp seven mean? Like, what does that mean mathematically? Yes. How does that work? How does this species? And they say this in this episode and they say this in another episode. And how do those reconcile? And doctor who is full of that too. You know, people who yeah. worry about the, you know, the details of like, well, the TARDIS is, does this, or, you know, wait a minute. In one episode, William Hartnell says my heart instead of my hearts. And so therefore, and like the reality was at that point, they hadn't written the idea that he had two hearts. And so like, there's no, reason to worry about that but you know if you're thinking of in in universe sense and there are people that really care about these details and god love them because there's Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that i love too and you love like thinking about it and talking about it and it's part of what loving the show is but when that overwhelms your ability to tell a great story that's when you're you're to me you're moving away from we're telling stories we're trying to um fundamentally tell human stories or or emotional stories or character stories or world stories. And we're just satisfying these little bits, you know? And I think that that to me is the central sin 
of the Moffat run. And I think you see a lot of it here. Like the idea we're going to do arcs and we're going to explain there's a crack and there's a, you know, and, and um, eventually it just gets, I think in series seven, it just got awful where they're just constantly dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess it's like, <laughs> I should, you know, I should rephrase this. It's, it's not fantasy and it's not science fiction that I'm talking about. It's like pulp fantasy and pulp science fiction. Sure, sure. And like, and and like that's fine. And and I just feel like um, my issue with it isn't that it's puzzle boxy. My issue is that if it's going to be puzzle boxy, it has to be written very, very well. Oh, sure, sure. And, I mean, you can do puzzle box stuff brilliantly. I don't have an issue with that. Exactly. And for me, it's like. That's not what I, A, it's not what I come to Doctor Who for, but Doctor Who changes over the years. That's right. fine, you know. And I don't, you know, I'm personally not one to say Stephen Moffat shouldn't have done the show like this because, you know, they put him in charge of the show. He make you know, to and make the show, you know, he, he can make this. what he wants, people you know. love them. And I'm not going to say, like, that there aren't reasons to love it. I'm just going to explain why I personally don't. And sure. I, I am not somebody who thinks, like, you know, it's it's a show at the end of the day, and yeah, it's a TV opinions. show. And uh, you know, as somebody who takes art and pop culture very seriously, because I know that it has the power to affect our culture and our lives, I think that that's why we get impassioned about it because we do feel like, you know, this creation touches us. Um, and I'm happy that there are different Doctor Who's for different people. But um, I do feel like part of the reason that there is, you know, quote unquote, so much Moffat hate is people who like Moffat, um, at least online. And this is like Tumblr and, you know, whoever, whoever those people are, um, they get very, very defensive and they can't talk about it. And I will, I will talk about some of the flaws that are in other eras. I will talk about them. You know, I, I talked about the flaws in spearhead from space, but like the flaw has flaws and spearhead for, from space were like campy and funny. And there was enough clever stuff that I just, you know, I didn't mind, you know, if there's enough stuff you like, you kind of can exactly. forgive, you know, you know, it's anyway. Um, I think I want to, you know, we're, we're kind of, <laughs> we're kind of halfway through the episode already so Jesus. we kind of need to yeah no um we we've uh we've had a nice long chat about uh that we haven't really gotten into your list yet so i think we need to start uh, into your list um, okay and at so, least hit the high points of this is this is stuff that you while rewatching the episode mm -hmm. this is just stuff that you thought of yeah so i i literally i have a sketch pad next to my laptop right now and um, because I'm a multitasker, I sit and sketch things and I took notes while I was watching this episode, but like literally just a few things, like half sentences. And like I said, I remembered not liking this. So this was like my, my list of things that suddenly I remembered, oh, I don't like this. Uh, the doctor tells Amy what to think. Um, and it's... Can you, can you, I think if you're going to say that you need a specific yeah. example. No, I... I'm going to say it, and then I will follow up with the explanation. Okay, go ahead. So he tells her what to think. For example, <laughs> when he hands her back the apple with the smiley face on it, he doesn't just say, look, it's the same apple, I promise, or look, you know. He says, you know it's the same one. Now, for me... And again, this is sensitive. This is nitpicky. But these are the things that stop me from liking it. Um, 
it felt aggressive to me. My doctor is not aggressive to his companions. Um, especially, you know, young women who he disappeared out of their lives for 12 years. Well, and that's a whole other... And that's a whole other issue. But, but you know. like, a any dude walks up and says, I'm this guy. Don't believe me? Here's the apple. You know it's the one. You know, and I'm exaggerating to prove a point. But um, I, I just, I don't know. It... it it, it, it's it's embedded in this it's not even so much that that by itself and i think that this is kind of where yeah i want to just kind of specify i want for me it's not even like that is problematic in the sense of like it it rubs me the wrong way while i'm watching it right yes. if you take it out of context and you say this like you point to this is the thing i don't like then yeah. people will say it's one little thing. It's you know you can justify it this way and that way. You can say this and that. Oh, he's trying to convince her. The world at that point is literally about to be destroyed, and this girl's got him like his ties in a in a car, and like he just needs to get away to go save the world. He's saying something. He's impassioned. He's trying like you can justify it all these kind of different ways, mm -hmm. but at the same time, ultimately at the end of the day. There's this stuff that just feels wrong. It just feels like yeah. I don't. It just it rubs you the wrong way. And when it's like over and over and over it, again, it feels like a bully. Dave, my doctor, David Tennant, and and the reason I'm going to refer to David Tennant is because he was the most recent doctor, right? So naturally, I'm going to compare Eleven to him in some degree because, and this is part of the cockiness of Stephen Moffat that bothers me is. And I understand that Doctor Who has done this before, but there is a sense of David Tennant, the David Tennant era was a long one and it was responsible for getting a large part of the new audience and for making it the show that it was. And to go like such a complete break between the two um, to where you have this doctor that to me feels like a bully because... You know, you have many situations where David Tennant, it doesn't matter what the situation is. He will take a second to explain it to somebody because he respects them. Right. And, and I think that, and that kind of comes down. It, is. it feels like a lack of respect. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you go ahead and move on your list? Because I think we could, okay. again, we could spend another 10 minutes on this if you really want to. But um... Um, it's the beginning of the weird relationship with Rory. Um, which which is basically like Rory was introduced. Hello, weird. Um, because Rory and we were talking. About I'm just this. I'm laughing because I'm like, okay, and this is a whole episode where we talk about Rory's you know situation and the. Like, this is kind of what we ran into in the companion podcast where we just had so much to say. Like, yeah. but yeah. But so Rory, like, my issue is, you see this guy. And just like in um, the episode in the hotel. The God Complex. The God Complex. Just like in the God Complex where Rory's the only one that sees the damn exit door and no one listens to him. And he just kind of shrugs and says, all right, well, I'll do my best to be the sane one in the situation. Well, well, you know, Rory is a male nurse, so clearly no one should listen to him. Exactly! It's like, ugh, it drives me crazy. So... We get in this first episode another like exit door moment where he walks up and he's like, he's the guy from your comic book. You made me dress up as him. And there's this one thing where it's like all of the criticism that people have about, you know, how this situation of like the doctor turned Amy's whole life upside down and da 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 da, the therapists and the biting. Um, there, like he wrote in an opportunity for himself to. Like, hey, we're three, hu well, 
two human beings and an alien. We're three people. Just we're, three people. We're three people. We're three humanoids. Um, we respect each other. Let's take 30 seconds and acknowledge the situation. You know, and it's the... Well, the, and that's the thing. Moffat will never slow down for 30 seconds. Exactly. unless it's Unless it's to... to do some silly mythology thing. And, well, and I don't even think that he slows down for those because we don't get enough details for anything to make sense sometimes. Like, it, it's not that it doesn't make a sort of sense. I, I completely understand where he's going with a lot of these things, but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Sure. Um, so there's that. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the, the Rory situation is something I have a lot to say about the Rory Amy relationship. Um, uh, I want to just kind of move on just because I don't think this is the place to really talk about it, but um, I mean, maybe we'll do like a whole like month on just like going through issues we have with the Moffat era in general. But I think people are going to get it just from various episodes where we kind of mention no, stuff. True. And if, People have specific questions they want us to answer. Just send an email to alwaysspacefanpodcast at gmail.com. So just move on to your next thing. Have you the email address today? What's that? You're you're doing real good on our publicity. Like, commercial break. (laughs) Anyways, uh, so... Do you have eczema? You should email (laughs) alwaysspacefanpodcast at gmail.com. Next point. um, Sure. So there's a certain level of, of sexual immaturity. And in this episode that comes up in a few uh, situations. Um, the- can, can I can I address this first just to sure. um, because this is something that I feel really passionate about, um, particularly when you look at, um, you know, you don't you know, they don't deal with this stuff in the classic series, at least not overtly. Um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of fan conversation that goes on about the doctor and sex and the way that things work and all that kind of stuff. And I think that the 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 novels, the 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 wilderness years had a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't really want to deal with that. You know, like the fact that it's not in the classic series, I don't really care about. Starting particularly with the Christopher Eccleston series, mm-hmm. the Doctor is portrayed as this incredibly sex-positive character. Yeah. He's uh, presented as someone who, you know, Captain Jack kisses him, and even though he's not really into it, he's kind of like, hey, you know, he describes well, Captain Jack as a very modern, like, you know, we talked about this when we talked about Dalek, I think, you know, and yeah. uh, or, or the companions, you know, where we're, you know, the, the Doctor and the Tenth Doctor, the Ninth Doctor and Tenth Doctor are very sex-positive. They're adult men who have relationships with the people around them. And for me, one of the signature failures of the Moffat era is to treat the 11th Doctor as a child, an overgrown child when it comes to sex. And it's to, honestly and it's he, disturbing. It's, 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 he meets every single one of his companions as children. Yeah. He has, he is... The fact that the eleventh Doctor is like, well, I guess they just go and smooch, and I think that's icky. I think that is such a fundamental betrayal of everything that went on in the ninth and tenth Doctor run. It's it's almost one. It's personally offensive to me in a way that some of this other stuff isn't. Well, and, um, and but I think but you know, but I, I'm it, offended by it. But it's just it it just grates on me every single time. I think it's stupid. I think because for me, it's 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 not feminist. <laughs> exactly I, I, it's, and, and you know and, like that is an essential part of it as as a feminist um but let's 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 come back from this because we're tangenting again um sure. and go back the the thing that brought this up are the jokes about porn being made um 
he walks in on a young man who is in his bedroom, on his bed, on his laptop, which, excuse me, every geek knows is a personal space. Even if the guy looks like a jock, like, dude, he is in his personal space. Right. <laughs> and he just rips his computer from him and then, like, basically is like, dude, get off the internet. Quit looking at porn. And it's just like, really? Like... The why should the doctor give a crap about this guy looking at porn? Like, you know. Anyway, I mean, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine like writing the scene? Imagine writing the scene with David Tennant, right? Imagine David Tennant comes like your your David Tennant comes across a guy on his laptop. Although you do, you can't even imagine David Tennant being in this situation. But imagine David Tennant's in this situation. He, the tenth Doctor's in this situation. He sits down. Like you can imagine him going, "Oh, well, that's interesting." And then going, "I need to borrow your computer." Like come in, you know. Exactly, and, it, and, you, and you know. that's the thing. When when you're, the thing for me is, <laughs> and this is how I explain writing to my freshmen. And when, when we are talking about essays, I say, you know, the amount of space, space you have on a page denotes importance. So if you spend three inches of space talking about one thing and two inches of space talking about something else, I'm going to think the thing you talk about for three inches is more important. Right? Right. With Moffat, he is going so quick and just expecting us to absorb characters and plot and he's just skimming over everything but he'll stop and make you know either overt overtly or vaguely offensive jokes yep and it's like i i just don't understand how i don't care how whimsical it is that's the stuff that sticks out to me um, sure i mean and absolutely and the silly and joke about um the grandma not being able to figure out what amy does for a job because she's a kissagram. And because she's a kissagram. You were oh, you're a policewoman, and you used to be a nun or a nurse, and a da da. And I'm just like, dude, old women have sex. Like it's not, and it's a kissagram. It's not even like a stripper, you know. Well, and, and you got to so think it's like, like bizarre. if we see if her Doctor as Who child, and then we see her as an adult, and she is like kissing people for a living not even i don't know it's so weird i just don't get it you guys i just don't get it is what i'm saying i i want to interject here just briefly since we're talking about the kissogram idea yeah which to me seems like something that was just a you know if this was a sitcom if this was we're sitting in if it was on the big bang theory you know and yeah, but like, the Big Bang Theory is offensive sometimes, too. Oh, no, no. It's incredibly offensive. But if it's just a sitcom, like, if it's just, like, the point is we're going to make the silly joke and then move on and make another silly joke and move on, and after 30 minutes, you 30 minutes of your life has gone by and you've eaten some popcorn and, you know, that's the... This is Doctor Who. It should be more than that. And I think that's kind of where I come down on, you know, yeah. that Moffat will always go for the joke that you're not really supposed to take seriously, you know? And making her entire, like, living at that point... Like, when I first saw pictures of Amy Pond in The Eleventh Hour, before the show began, before I watched this episode, I thought she was going to be a cop. Yeah. And I'm like, that would be badass, having, like, yeah. this, you know... Sorry, well, you know, you, heterosexual and, male... And, you know, let me... Put... Hot, red-headed cop, you know, around in the show being, like... 
badass and, and tough as nails and uh, kicking some ass. I'm like, I want to see that. That right. sounds great. Um, right. And I... then when you see her in that, you know, and she's in the, uh, when she's got the doctor, she's hit him with a cricket bat and then she's got him chained to a radiator mm-hmm. and she's wearing the, the, out, the, the, the police woman's uniform. And she says something like, um, she's pretending to be a cop. So she says it to her fake radio, like, oh, we know something about Amelia Pond. And I'm just sitting there like, imagine if that had been the story. The doctor, it's like, it, it really is six months later, and the doctor is accused of killing this little girl, which happens all the time in Doctor Who, by the way. The doctor is accused of killing so many people over the 50 years. Mm-hmm. But um, Well, and, and that's when he gets to be kind of like Sherlock Holmes for an episode, which I love. Because so, he, he has to prove that he's not the one who did it. Right. And, and I mean, you know, but but uh, imagine if that had been the story, and, the, and yeah. that Prisoner Zero had killed Amy Pond, little Amelia Pond, and this was a cop who had discovered the Doctor. He he proves his innocence by finding this alien and defeating it, mm-hmm. and then this cop who is not Amy Pond, who is some other person, mm-hmm. comes along with him on his adventures. Like, isn't that a better story? I mean, really? Yes, and. And I think that that's what I'm saying. Like every choice that Moffat makes, I feel like there could be a better one. And, (laughs) and like, I hate to be that critical. And like, there's so many things about it that I still do like. Um, But it's just, I mean, they're so major. Um, All right, move on, move on. This will be an extended episode. so, So, you know. All of them will be extended episodes. I talked to damn much. The, the the last one was so short. We were right at 60 minutes. I was so proud of us. <laughs> okay, so last point. Um, Is it really? I thought you had more. No, this was my last point. We've kind okay. of woven in and out among some of them. Sure, sure. Um, and just to say one more thing on the, the previous topic of, you know, if Moffat had made her a cop, she would have been a badass. Um or she could have been a more complex well. If character. a better writer were in charge, yes. and you had, you know, like let's let's, you know, but, but I, you know, I, I do, as someone who has studied literature, and there are different schools of thought of whether or not you should really um, bring in the author as a personal kind of person. But when we have so many interviews with him all the time, and we see such a complete kind of view of him between this show and another show. Like, I feel very comfortable in saying that he's sexist, especially when he comes out in an interview and says something about, um, yeah, and the next doctor will be a woman. Um, and I don't even remember the quote, but it was like, yeah, you wish or yeah, like that'll ever happen or, you know. Well, well, no, no, no. What? What did he say? Sorry. It was like that. It was totally- during the Peter Capaldi announcement, like big special. They did a big a special announcement thing where Peter Capaldi was announced as the 12th doctor. Mm -hmm. And they did a little interview where it's just talking about, um, there was real groundswell of popular support for this being for the 12th doctor. Although I'm sure Peter Capaldi will be amazing. And if he's terrible, then you get to make fun of me later. No, I'm super psyched about him. So, but, um, there was this really big, I think more so than there ever has been. There's been a big groundswell of support for the idea that the 12th doctor should be a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, and I think, you know, the idea like we 
met some people and Peter Capaldi was the best person for the role. Mm-hmm. I'm down with that. I'm not, you know, like, I don't know what went on behind the scenes. I don't, you know, but yeah. what happened was, and it was really about this thing where I think they felt like they had to address it in the special. And they felt like they, you know, there were, and Moffat says he's in, you know, he's, you know, in his little lounge chair, he's in his little leather chair, or whatever. And he says, um, there was a, uh, you know, there are some people who think the doctor should be a woman. And uh, I agree with them. I think that's that would be a wonderful thing. Um, which, if they just cut there, yeah, we would have been, you know, yeah, we didn't choose a woman this time, but we chose this great actor, Peter Capaldi. Yeah, you're gonna love him. Maybe next time, mm-hmm. you know, like you could have cut it right there, and people would have gone, mm-hmm. "All right, sure." But then he says, "And I think maybe the queen should be a man." That's it. Which is just like, and I remember. Watching this thing and pausing DVR and going, okay, so he said it to the camera, right? I don't but even what, know. The, the they, fact they, they didn't edit it, it out. They, they, this was an edited piece. This wasn't like a live interview. This was like there were people made decisions to leave that in. Like, and I, like, why would you do that? It's just such, it feels so tone deaf on the part of like the people making the show to any sense of the way that people respond to things in the real world. <laughs> like, no, I mean, how did you, I mean, like, it, it, it was, and, the, and this is, again, it felt 100% wholly and fully disrespectful of the people who love what you do. And right. I'm not saying you have. We love Doctor Who. Like, yeah. we do a podcast about Doctor Who. Yeah. We want Doctor Who to be amazing. Yeah. And it's been a long time since Doctor Who's been amazing. And it's. I mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat is number one person in my mind who is not making amazing Doctor Who right now. Yeah. Um, maybe in 10 years we'll find out. Really, there was somebody else making decisions and Stephen Moffat was trying to do all these sorts of things. But. Yeah, who knows? Anyway. But um, for the but time for right, being. For right now. Stephen Moffat is the name we put on it, you know. Um, sorry, I kind of really sidetracked us there, but I, I think kind of got at something that is worth talking about. Yes. Um, anyway, but the moment I was going to say that I felt like most embodied this cocky emotion that um, he has, that I think the reason I don't like this era of Doctor Who is because I feel like I can feel Moffat's cockiness coming through it. Um, and especially in... You know, so we have the porn jokes. He takes the guy's computer away from him. And then within like 30 seconds, he's like, oh, I'm going to write a computer virus and I'm going to send it on this phone and boop, 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 and just solves everything. Right. Uh, what? And he lists the things because he needs to get the, the politicians to believe that he's somebody who can help them, um, which in the past, everybody just knows the doctor. And I kind of just like it that way. This idea that he's like. I'm going to hack into this conference call and I'm going to what he writes a computer virus. He completes Fermat's theory and he, he, things. And I'm like, if he can do all of this, why didn't he solve this in like five minutes? Well, I think that the, uh, you know, and this is kind of one where I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit okay. here because I kind of, I will forgive what you won't. And I kind of like certain elements of this okay. where the idea is you've taken the, the central plot of this sequence of the show, this like little 20, 25 minutes is 
the doctor figures out we've got 20 minutes to save the world because he knows, okay, we've got this size starship up there. It's got this long to charge its engines. It's going to burn the entire freaking planet down. Um, I know we've got about this long to save the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, sets up this little ticking time bomb. The timer doesn't make any sense. Like, you look at it in any kind of detail, it falls apart. But the idea, I've got some X amount of time that they are going to charge their weapon I need to save the world, and I don't have my standard tools. I don't have my TARDIS. I don't have my sonic screwdriver. I don't have anything that I would normally have available to me to help me here. I have to rely on my cleverness. Honestly, that's what I love about the 11th hour, this core thing. Um, And if this had been kind of – there's a lot of stuff that happens in there that I don't like, but I do love that element of it where it is like – Yeah, no, and I see that. I see that there is a – a MacGyver quality to it. I guess. Yeah, no, and you very. I, if that had been what the what the um, Matt Smith era yeah, had if, been like, if Matt Smith I, had been a MacGyver, I would have liked that. Right, or even just we see it occasionally. You know, we see this kind of this the idea of wow. using cleverness. I have never before gotten a theme song to a song so quickly stuck in my head. It's the MacGyver song. It's just on loop. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Anyway. <laughs> but but no, I love that. I love that central idea. So the idea that it's like I this dude, he has a laptop. I can go use his laptop. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've no, seen the doctor that. before kind of wiring things randomly and shining a shining screwdriver at them and suddenly like, oh, and now the door opens. Like, you know, and it's just sort of you just get like he's just this brilliant scientist engineer guy. He can just do that, you know, like so the idea that I he can for me is, write a virus and do this like doesn't bother me. And he has to justify his, um, you know, I am, you don't know who I am, but clearly I'm somebody you should be listening to do this because yeah. I'm trying to save your bacon here. You I, know? I guess, I guess for me, like I completely understand, but it kind of feels like the poor man's David Tennant at that point. Like David Tennant would have had one of those episodes at the, or like one of those moments at the beginning of the episode, that would have been like the beginning of the episode. And the rest of the episode would be like, I don't know, unit would come in or like, I, since I have seen so much of the classic stuff at, you know, now at this point and which I hadn't seen before, I'm like, why didn't just say like, why didn't he just go to the, like call up the unit headquarters and be like, I need you to, you know, I need you to get on the phone with, you know, like you don't need that whole sequence, but that well, means you know, bring in unit. And, maybe you know, this, is, this is the point that I would rather make then about this is when I watch a lot of Moffat's episode, 11th hour included, I leave with so many unanswered questions. Oh, no, no, that, that that's. That and, is that is par for the course with the Moffat run. And and they are basic yeah. fundamental questions about like how do people get from point A to point B? Yes. You know. And that and feels like lazy writing to me. It I think I agree with you completely there. My my disagreement was just on, you know, I kind of get the doctor just gets to do that, you know, just gets to he wrote a virus. Yeah. And but, the whole like cleverness of his plan isn't I wrote the virus. It's I wrote the virus, which all it does is it puts it makes the Atraxi be able to find prisoner zero by, you know, it's this kind of clever convoluted plot. Like I think that the idea of, you know, I've got all these pieces moving in all at the same time and they're all going to converge and suddenly they find, Oh, I've got the cell phone right here and Mm -hmm. they'll find me. And then suddenly there you are. And I win. I love that. Like 
the again the MacGyver element of it, I, I thought was really clever and really well done. That little twenty minutes, other than the problematic shit in the middle, I liked that a lot. So I guess for me, <laughs> and you and I have this about other things too. If you come close and fail, sometimes I am more um, critical of that. And so I think this is a situation where. Like, it came close to being macgyver but just wasn't there enough for me, so I just didn't even get it. Like, you explaining to me that that's why you liked that, I get it now. Sure. But because of all the other stuff that was going on, it just felt cocky, and it didn't make any sense to me. And I guess what it is, is he's building a character. And so for most of the episode, he spends all this time doing this other stuff, and then we get, like you said, the 20 minutes of MacGyver at the end. For me, I'm like, why wasn't he MacGyver from day one? Right. Or if he, he, why, there's just so much of that problematic stuff that we're talking it's about. It's inconsistent and, you know, for me. It's, it's inconsistent. It's all over the place tonally. Um, one thing, as long as we're talking about it, um, did you have another point you wanted to make before we started to wrap things up? Nope, that's it. Okay. Um, one of the um, other things that kind of got me is because, like, I think at this point I've listened to this, to the Murray Gold, you know, the I Am the Doctor song, which yeah. um, I'm not going to hum it because I'm afraid the BBC is going to come after me. But, you know, you you know the song, mm-hmm. the one that they always play during Matt Smith's heroic moments. And um, they were playing it here at the moment when the doctor figures out that the Atraxia are going to burn the planet, that they put a force field around Earth. And all you're seeing on screen is, like, the doctor jumping over, like, a little, like, six-inch fence. And there's, like, an ice cream vendor and there's stuff playing. And then you've got this big thundering thing going on in the background. And I did kind of – it pulled me out of the story to this thing of, like – Man, the like what's going on on screen has nothing to do with the background music that's playing right now. Yeah. Um, when they play that same theme later, and the attractor actually confronting the doctor. Yeah. Um, and what I think is another kind of really nice scene. Um, you know, if they had only done it once, I would think it was a nice scene where the doctor makes the attractor run away by being I'm the doctor. You know, and as a first episode, I'm the doctor now. Like deal with it you know um no and, you know, i mean I, I think that's what that scene is meaning to say you know i don't have a problem with him yelling at the sky because it reminded me a lot of david Tennant coming out of the tardis and just being like what kind of doctor am i i don't know you know like well david Tennant was way better at it than matt smith is but you know like... but still it has that moment of i am figuring out who i am am i angry am i this ah oh, i'm this i am the person who will call them back and tell them you know what, you were leaving anyway, but let me make sure you never fucking come back. And I like that, but I don't feel that from this character for the whole episode. I feel it one moment at the end, maybe a couple minutes throughout, but it just feels inconsistent to me. And yeah. Awesome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One thing I am going to, and I noticed this literally right before I did the Skype call um, to you. If you look at the dates that this episode and this is like such a like mystery box puzzle boxy meaning to like mess with the fan sort of thing um and so the episode was air- aired in 2010 and presumably that's when uh amy pond takes off with the doctors in the year 2010 would you agree now that you're asking it that way 
not necessarily, but sure. Well, okay. that that's what you're supposed to agree with, right? Sure, yeah. And then he says, okay, well, it's been two years since I've seen you, Doctor, because all the stuff with the Atraxia apparently happened in 2008. Then the TARDIS, like, got mishandled right. again, and it's two years later, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that's before... when he calls her the girl who waited. Sure, sure, sure. I, but I, I'm going somewhere different from that. Yeah, anyways. Before so. that, it had been 12 years, right? Right. The Doctor Who TV movie aired in 1996, which is 12 years before 2008. And then the last episode before, uh, the last regular episode, you had the, the specials. Mm-hmm. The last regular episode was in 20, 2008. You know, the the, uh, the Journey's End, the David Tennant's last regular episode mm-hmm. was in 2008. So I think this is Moffat saying, essentially, forget the RTD era. There's the 1996 TV movie. Mm-hmm. And then I came back briefly in 2008. And now I'm here in 2010. And this is the new thing. I think this is essentially like these are specific dates to include. Like there, there's okay. no reason for it to be that specific. Do that again. What, what are you saying is the order of what he is implying happened? Well, I think that what he's metatextually, and I think Moffat right. speaks very metatextually in all of his runs. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think he is making the argument that, you know, I think ultimately he's including the dates because he thinks it's funny and because yeah. like, oh, the obsessive fans. I, I understand that. I just couldn't follow what you were saying. Can you just repeat it to me simply? <laughs> sure. That uh, he's saying the doctor left in 1996. And didn't come back until 2008 and had one adventure and then came back. And then for real, we're going to start in 2010. Oh, I think that's essentially what uh, I think that's essentially what he's trying to say with the with those dates. Or at least that's a reading you get from it. I have no idea if that was intentional or not, but it seems really weird that those are the dates that, that this episode takes place in. Okay. I, I don't really follow the importance of the dates from what you said, but sure. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think that in a <laughs> My sense, he probably will. I'm just too slow. I think that in a sense, he's trying to um, say the RTD Gardner era is over. It's my time now. And we're carrying on as if all that didn't happen. I think that's kind of what he's trying to No, and, and there is that feeling about it that in order to feel like he was making his own show, he kind of had to completely cut ties with the previous. Um, and sure, fine, whatever. I get that kind of like from a writer's point of view of wanting to write your own characters and not somebody else's characters. And and that's why when there are different writers on the show, it feels like a very different show. Um, I have no problems with the character differences. I have problems with the implied misogyny and the inconsistency and the, the stuff that feels like just it could be better written. Sure. Um, anything else you want to add about this episode before we wrap up? Um, you know, as much as I'm bitching, I like it. <laughs> it's a cute episode. I, I agree that, like, especially upon rewatching, like, the fish fingers and custard bit is just, it goes on a little long for me. Um, and there It are... goes on way long. I, I hate that. I hate that. I hated that sequence the first time. I hated it the second yeah. time. And, you know, all the issues I talked about. But overall, I really like the actor's... Um, they bring a lot to the characters, um, and there's, you know, a nice cameo from, uh, 
what's her name who's in Broadchurch and a bunch of other British TV. Um, so, yeah, no, like, yeah, that that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have any social media bits you wanted to uh, add for us on the at the end of this episode? Um, not today. I have we haven't really heard from anyone. I don't think. Um, I... Yeah, I haven't posted the John Pertwee episode yet, but hopefully, um, people will respond to that one. Yeah. Um, uh, I will get, kind of give our stuff. Uh, Always Space Man Podcast at gmail.com If you haven't listened to the other four times I said it, mm-hmm. um, send us emails. We both get that. Um, you know, we'll we'd love to read some emails on the air. Um, Inkyosa, I-N-K-Y-O-S-A, um, at Tumblr or at Twitter for Shana, and, um, Daniel Lee Harper, either place for me on Twitter or Tumblr, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think that's all we have to say, um, thanks for listening, Shana, take us out with a quote. Yep, the quote, um, so this is what he says to our, our poor, our poor porn-watching friend, um, after he leaves him to, uh, finish sending the virus this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the episode yes um and i'm so glad you picked up you picked this as as the as the quote because this is the moment where i i do this is what matt smith does really well and we see it a bit i wish we'd seen it a lot more in this series there are moments where matt smith with his puppy dog eyes and his floofy hair he really just has the ability to connect with someone on a level where you just feel like he cares about them even if he's just been a dick Um, and he has the ability to give these lines these like philosophical lines in these like moments and he has his ability to give it a heft Mm-hmm. And it's not a joke, and it's not something that – I don't know. I just – I feel like this was the Matt Smith I loved. If I we, it, that, yeah. Anyway. If we'd seen more of it, I would have liked it a lot more. So um, anyway, please read the quote, and we'll uh, kind of go out with that. This is when you fly. Today's the day you save the world. That's it. Oh, that's – okay. Yeah, the, the, the quote I know went on a little longer, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> I can't do anything right by you tonight. No, not at all. Actually, you are amazing in this episode. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah. Anybody who's still listening um, will can agree with me or not. Always space fan podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Um, can't wait to see the hate mail we get on this one. Ooh, uh, bring but, on uh, the hate. Bring on the hate mail. But be nice. Maybe about I'll it. maybe I'll post it to the uh, to the Moffat uh, fan sites. You know, okay. and see what they have to say. Um, <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Um, we'll uh, see you in the next episode. Bye.